Uh, all right, let's start, let's start to move to uh, the field here. You, so you guys beat the 49ers 36 to 24. I mean, talk talk about you know going on the plane, going home, and then getting ready for the Redskins game. Did you guys think you were going to take the Redskins? Because let's let's face it, nobody really predicted that the Redskins were going to go to the Super Bowl. It was either going to be the 49ers or the Bears. Everybody thought. Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, the the funny thing about that is. We, we played the Redskins the last game of the season, and we had to win that game um, to guarantee ourselves to get in the playoffs. And we were kicking the crap out of them. We were kicking the crap out of them up front. Jay Schrader was the quarterback, and we were getting after him. Okay? Well, Jay wasn't getting it done. We were putting a lot of heat on him. Um, I, I, I think he kind of crumbled. Uh, under pressure, and they brought Doug Williams in. You know what? I forgot about that. That's yeah. you, you guys affected football history. You changed football history by knocking Schrader around. Yeah, I know it. I know it. I, I, and, and, and believe me, trust me, I'll never forget it because Doug Williams came in. I don't remember what part of the game. It might have been like the second half. We tore him up the first half. We had him. There's no way they were going to beat us. We had him. We were on fire, and then somehow Doug came in, and it was a different team. I mean, he was throwing the ball, hitting everything he threw at. Um, they, they, I don't know. They were playing. They were playing inspired football. The first half when Jay was in there, nothing against Jay. He's, he's you know, he, he's had his days too. But um, we just had his number. You know, he was a guy that, that held the ball. We got after him. We were locking down their good receivers. We just had their number. That first half, we had him. We knew we had him, and then something changed when Doug came in, and they ended up beating us uh, at the end of the game. They actually beat us. And so we knew when we had to go, and that was at our place. <laughs> that was in the Metrodome. So we knew after we beat the Saints and the Niners, you know, our confidence was up. We felt really good about playing them. We knew we were going to get the same offense that we played at the Metrodome. Because they, they live and die by the, by the counter tray and play action. And, and, and we knew who the receivers were and their tight ends were. We had them down. We knew what they were going to do. But Doug Williams, I don't know what was going on with that guy, but he had no fear, nothing to lose attitude. And he just went out there and tore us up. I mean, it was a close game. It was 70, 17 to 10. We had a chance to tie it at the end. We didn't get it done. I think if we could have got that game tied up, I think we would have had a chance to get over the top. But we just didn't. When that happened, um, it was just a huge letdown. It was a huge letdown. And there just wasn't enough time to get it turned around, and we ended up losing. What were you thinking when, uh, when, the, when the pass fell incomplete to Nelson? Um, you know, it was just. We just didn't get it done. I wasn't really thinking about who did what or who didn't do what. Darren Nelson has had a, you know, he's done a lot of great stuff for us, and um, circumstance just wasn't in, in, in the cards for us. I mean, it just it just wasn't. We didn't do enough to win that game. We only had ten points. I mean, come on, um, they only had seventeen, but they had seven more than us, and that's all it took. We didn't get it done. We fell short, and uh, they deserved to win. And they 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 showed that when they beat Denver in the Super Bowl. It was quite obvious, um, 
you know, on, on that stage, they were they were a better team than we were. How how hard is that to accept? I mean, and you know, obviously, you go through a training camp when NFL training camps what they were, but you, you knock off Joe Montana, uh, you you knock off the Saints, and then you come so close. How hard is it to walk off the field knowing you came so close? It, it was hard. There's no there's no doubt about it, especially that close. Um, but we by no means took. Washington lightly because of that last game in the Metrodome. We knew what we were getting into. We knew it was going to be a tough game um, regardless. And, and we knew we had to be at our best to beat them. We knew that. And um, it was such a, you know, defensive game on both sides. You know, they, they couldn't move the ball. We had our times, but we, we just couldn't move the ball. And, uh, you know, and then when they scored again, we had an opportunity, and it was. It was it was a huge letdown, but we've been through so many ups and downs that year with the strike, and, you know, we were supposed to win that last game of the season against the Redskins. All we had to do was beat them, and we'd be in the playoff. To me, that was almost more of a letdown uh, than when we lost the championship game. So following year, you make the playoffs again, but this time you lose to the 49ers. Uh, you know, they took out the revenge for the previous year. Uh, and then you know, Mike Lynn, October of 1989, makes a blockbuster trade, uh, and he brings in Herschel Walker. Your initial thoughts? So I'm going to be honest about that. I think everybody in that organization, from what I could tell, I know I was, was happy about that trade because we needed that kind of running back to get us to the next level. We didn't have a strong running game. We did a lot of – we were basically like a West Coast offense. That's basically what we were. We just didn't have Roger Craig. Okay, we didn't have a big 210, 215-bound back that could run and catch. We had backs that could, you know – You didn't have Joe Montana some, either, so. Right, exactly, uh, exactly. Even though Wade had his moments and he had a pretty damn good season and he did well through the playoffs, um, that that next year we won the division. I think we even won eleven games that year. And um, but the Niners were ready for it. They did not want to be embarrassed. We were playing them at their place again, and uh, they were just a different team. They were the team that obviously won all the Super Bowls and dominated teams uh, throughout the league. That was the team that we played: confident, sure of themselves, well coached, precision. Perfect football, and 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 you could feel it when we played. It was really hard to make plays in that game. Uh, whatever strengths we had, they tried to make us, you know, play left-handed. That that's for sure. Yeah, you guys finished eleven and five in in nineteen eighty eight. 49ers were ten and six. And the following year, again, you bring the Vikings in. So, okay, let's let's talk about Herschel. Obviously, a big impact on the Cowboys, but certainly uh, the Vikings franchise. So. From what I recall, the big squabble was that Herschel liked to work out of an eye formation, uh, and Jerry Burns and, and I guess Herschel didn't get along or didn't see eye to eye. You know, talk about the problems that, that happened because the first game, he, the first time he touched the ball, he ran for over fifty yards, as I recall, and almost broke a touchdown. So, what was the problems on offense with, with Herschel? So that that was very promising. We ran him out of the eye. Burnsy put some eye plays together for him. But, yeah, obviously we were a split-back team because of the West Coast system. We didn't do a lot of eye in, in those days uh, because of the types of backs we had and the type of offense that we ran. Um, Herschel was a straight eye back, eight yards deep, 
you know, power plays, uh, toss plays, things where he could get downhill. He was a north and south runner. He was not a Barry Sanders type. He was not a cutback type runner. He was the type of guy that was 220 pounds that can run easily, you know, high four threes, low four fours. I mean, he was a big, strong guy that could run, but he was a straight-ahead guy, and everybody knew it, and every team that played against him forced him east and west, and we just didn't have the guns to, to, to make it work. That first game, obviously he ran for, I think it was like 139 yards. That, that play that you're talking about is when his shoe came off, and um, we were excited. I mean, there's not a guy on that team in that organization that didn't think that that trade was worth it based on the excitement of getting him in the first place. He just came off a 1,500-yard uh, season with Dallas with no, nobody. They had a terrible team, and he went for 1,500 yards basically on his own. But in our division, when you're playing, you know, Mike Ditka and, and, and Buddy Ryan and, and the Bears – and, and some of these teams, everybody knew how to play it. They just they made him run to the sidelines and, and uh, took all his uh, north-south lanes away and pursued the ball, and he just struggled. He didn't get more than 60 yards a game, if that, after that. You know, we just – Burnsy ended up going back to what he did before to try to get us in games and, and keep us in games and win some games. So – it ended up fiddling out just as quick as it, it got big. Well, at, at what point did you realize this might not be working the, out the way we thought? Like, Probably the very next game after that. that <laughs> I think he only ran over 100 yards that one game. And then I think he had an 80-yard game. Uh, and then it started getting lower than that where he was just getting stuffed. He, did, he just couldn't get it going. And... Um, you know, I, I think the, 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 the thing that you're talking about with him and Bernsey, which I wasn't really aware of, but I could see it. I think Bernsey had to go back to what we did best, which is get more split back stuff and uh, figure other ways to uh, get our offense rolling because uh, they, they basically with Herschel, they made us one-dimensional. I mean, and, and with Bernsey's system, we were multi-dimensional because of the things that we could do with our backs. And we had success with that. And um, so Burns, he had to go back to what works. I mean, you know, you know, you know the NFL, it's not for long. and You've you got to win games. And if things aren't working, they're going to go away from it. They don't care who you are. So and the, that's basically what happened. And the one thing with Herschel, a, a lot of people say it about Herschel, he was a different kind of dude, and football might not have been his priority like it might have been with yours and, and your other teammates. Yeah, I don't know. You know, that's hard to say. I mean, he showed up every day, worked hard in practice. He kept himself in great shape. He was a great teammate. I played with him in Philly, too, same thing. Um, You know, I mean, he seemed to me to be the same type of guy that that all the other guys on our team that were hungry and wanted to be good. I I didn't, you know, I didn't see signs of that. I just think that he was a one-dimensional back. Uh, that ran with power and speed, straight-ahead stuff. If you opened up the hole and he got in the open field, he was gone. You weren't going to be able to tackle him, but he had to be able to get through that hole first, and there was none there. They forced him to speed to the sideline, and if he couldn't use his speed or if he couldn't turn it up, he had you know there was nothing for him. And that's basically how everybody played him. Everybody knew what to do, and that was the theme, and we struggled with it with him. 
Dave Lapham said he was a smoke-the-hole kind of guy, so I guess defenses were able to figure it out. Talk about your teammate, Hall of Famer Chris Dolman, 21 sacks in, in 89. You had 18, so the fact that Dolman goes to the Hall of Fame, you had a little something to do, do about that. Talk about, talk about him as a teammate. I, I would say that. I, in my opinion, I, I, to me, I think Dolman, I, I used to study pass rushers all the way back to Gino Marchetti. I used wow. to study all those guys because I, I heard so much about them, and I was so in love with pass rush and all the things that went into it. I, I just loved it. And um, Chris earned everything he got. To me, he's one of the premier pass rushers of all time ever in the NFL. The things that he could do, his size and speed. Uh, he was never a pure pass rusher in college. He didn't become one. We drafted him as a linebacker. So he literally had to learn and put the time in like we were talking about earlier. He put the time in. He studied film. He worked with some of our veteran players. He had to go against Gary Zimmerman every single day when we finally moved him to defensive end, which was his ver- the very next year when we got Floyd Peters. Um, a position he's never played where he had to have his hand in the, in, in the dirt the whole time. Gary Zimmerman used to just ragdoll him. He, he could not beat Gary Zimmerman. And then, and, and that's because Chris was trying to use his speed and athleticism, and Gary was so athletic and so long and so big and so smart. He just toyed with Chris. And then Chris was so determined to beat him, he started going to his power moves. And uh, everybody knew how strong Chris was. He was a naturally strong, gifted guy. He didn't have to spend a lot of time in the weight room. We used to call him Jethro from Beverly Hillbillies. He had that (laughs) natural, you know, farm boy strength that was just incredible. Nobody could come close to him. And now, like I said, he never spent a whole lot of time in the weight room. I had to live in the weight room. This guy could walk by the weight room and, and get a workout. But... When he started beating Gary in practice, we all saw it. We were all there. We witnessed it. We saw the beginning and we saw the end. When he was able to start beating Gary, um, he took off. All that work that he put in, he took off. He knew, he knew how to power guys. He learned how to set guys up with his power. He was the first guy I ever seen long arm a guy, which is a real popular move today. Uh, and then work moves off of it. He had a great feel for uh, counterweight, for uh, great feel uh, in setting blockers up, and he was so fast, so fast off the ball. He could uh, he could bend a corner and literally put his inside hand down and not lose a step at full speed. Um, you know, he had it all. He could in and out. He could once he got his confidence. There's nothing he couldn't do, and he could do it all. He was great with his hands. His his uh, his film study. He studied. We used to study a lot of film uh, with our coaches and without on our own. We spent a lot of time in the D line room. All of us, Henry, all of us. We we did a lot of film time time in our. He did all that. He put the work in. He earned everything he got. And for a guy to play 15 years and has over 150 sacks, I can't even tell you how many double digit sack seasons he had. Which is the goal for every D lineman to be in double digits at the end of the season. He's had so many of those. Um, it's incredible. And then to stay healthy, you know, the guy didn't miss practice and, and he didn't miss games. And, and, and like I said, this is a guy that didn't do a lot of weightlifting. He did whatever he had to do, but he wasn't. it wasn't his main focus to prepare himself to play games. It was just his mental uh, 
preparation and his physical God-given abilities, and then his work ethic. His work ethic was was uh, second to none. Okay, so you talk about your team. We mentioned Anthony Carter, yourself, USFL, and Gary Zimmerman. How can I forget about Gary Zimmerman? Talk about talk about, talk about a little bit of him and his impact, and you know, one of those USFLers so, that came over. Yeah, Gary. Gary's a Pac-10 guy. He was uh, he played guard at University of Oregon, all Pac-10 every year, big time All American player, great player, great. You know, a six foot six guy. It weighed about 280, 285, which was pretty big, but he was athletic. Unbelievable movement skills, patient, poised, nothing ever rattled him. Uh, he had to go against the best pass rushers week in, week out. Richard Dent, Chris Everyday, uh, Derek Thomas, uh, Dexter Manley. I mean, this guy had to go against the best, and he shut them all down. It was amazing. I used to love when I was on the sidelines when the offense was up. I always got up on my feet on third down or passing situations to watch him block those guys because it was incredible uh, the things that he could do with his feet and his hands and just he was so good at taking things away from you and making you one-dimensional no matter who he was going against. And, um, you know, once again, a USFL guy, uh, we came into the Vikings together. We obviously played against each other in college and uh, in the USFL. And I hated going against him. I he was he was that good. It was it was a nightmare trying to get all your best stuff together and, and trying to beat him with it and, and not having any luck. He was that good. Okay, I'm gonna rattle off some names here and, and just give me a thought. Uh Gary Anderson, former back for the Tampa Bay Bandits and then later on with the San Diego Chargers. Very athletic. I mean this guy was hurtling over people. Yeah, he was he was that guy that could run and catch. Do everything. Very athletic, kind of a skinny guy, but fast. Uh, brought a lot of credibility to, to the league when he when he played in the league. A lot of respect around the league. Um, big time player in the USFL. I'm not sure how his NFL career went, but I know he was a big time player that gave that league credibility for sure. Gary Clark, obviously, you went against him and, and Ricky Sanders. Let's start with Gary Clark. The guy was I, I fought with five him. five nine out of uh, James Madison. Yep, hard worker, blue-collar guy. He went to college with, uh, who was that linebacker? Charles Haley. Him and Charles Haley went to college together. Kind of an unknown college at the time. Um, just a blue-collar guy that worked hard. Um, had a really good USFL, short USFL career, but had a really uh, awesome NFL career with the Washington Redskins. Um, good buddy. Spent a lot of time with him at the draft Basically, most of my time uh, down there was with him and uh, Willie Brown, but it was really good to catch up to him and, and uh, spend time with him because we, we, we did spend a little time together uh, with, the, with the Jacksonville Bulls, but another great player from that league. I saw him needling the fans about the championships they won. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, here, here's a guy, Reggie White. I mean, give me your thoughts on Reggie White. Reggie White was my hero. I mean, I used to love to watch. I wanted to be Reggie White. That guy was bigger than life. The nicest, most humble person you'd ever meet in your life. And incredible. Uh, it's like, you know, God put him on, on, on earth to be a football player. And he was unbelievable. You know, his size, his strength, his speed unstoppable you could not block that guy no matter what he was unstoppable 
Um, and uh, talk about credibility. He, he and I came out the same year, 84. He went immediately to the USFL. Of course, they paid him a king's ransom. So, he, he, you know, he couldn't resist. But he was one of the reasons why I felt good about going to the USFL, to be honest. Herschel Walker, uh, Reggie, Steve Young, you know, Zim, when Zim went. I mean, all these big-time players that, um, you know, that I admired and looked up to uh, were all going to that league. So it, it was easy for me to kind of give in because I really did not want to play in that league. I did not. My dream was to play in the NFL, and if I had to go play for less money – I was ready to do it. Thank God my agent talked me out of it and, uh, uh, you know, uh, talked some sense into me. But the thing that got me over was because those guys played in the league as well. And also the Jacksonville Bulls. I remember having 70,000 fans against the Generals. There's a reason why the NFL has a team in Jacksonville all these years. It's because because of the success of those teams. Yeah, and and that's another thing. You know, when I got there – you know, we had our own facilities. They weren't NFL-like, but we did have our own facilities. We had our own fields. So it was NFL-like to me. And I, and I think always in the back of my mind, and probably a lot of us players, were thinking, you know, maybe this league will last. Maybe we could end up in the NFL as a merger, you know, whatever. But, you know, you needed something to hang your hat on as far as the, to feel good about playing in it. Uh, because every one of us wanted to play in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. That's that's the margin. That's what you shoot for. And, uh, you know, you needed something to inspire you to play in the league. And I think when guys like Reggie and uh, some of these other guys that played in it, along with Donald Trump, obviously, uh, made it legit, I think that made us feel pretty good about ourselves. And, um and then we also had the ESPN TV contract. We were on TV. I used to watch it on TV before I got in the league, and then obviously uh, got to play on TV and, and uh, in front of my family and friends. So I thought that was pretty cool too for being a you know 22 year old kid who's never been anywhere and never seen anything. That was that was pretty cool for me. Well, that was the first venture for ESPN for doing live play by play was the USFL. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. Uh, the Chicago Bears in 1986 brought in Doug Flutie. The Bears had quarterback problems, one of the best defenses from 1984 through 1991. Did they make a mistake by not giving Doug Flutie more of a chance? You know, that's hard to say. That, that's really hard to say, uh, especially at that time. I mean, that, you know, Jim McMahon was always hurt. Uh, Tom Zack was there. I don't know what his situation was. I think I played more against Tom Zack than I did Jim McMahon. Um, and then you had uh, the other kid from Michigan, Harbaugh. Harbaugh a little later on, yeah. He, he was, right. But he could, never stay, he could never stay healthy, though. Right. He couldn't stay healthy either. So they kind of had, you know, a lot of transition at that position after 85. Uh, never really got to where uh, they wanted to be because of that. I mean, who knows, you know? Who knows? I mean, he obviously did a great job in Buffalo. I mean, that was – that's a great story in itself with him. And um, I just think he was always behind the eight ball because of his stature, his size, um, you know, things of that nature. I don't think anybody really trusted the fact that or gave him a legitimate chance or was ready to say, okay, let's give this guy a chance. We might lose some games, but let's give him a chance. I, I think nobody was willing to do that to give him a legitimate chance at that time. 
Did the Cleveland Browns make a mistake in, in drafting Baker Mayfield because of his height? I, I, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen. I mean, there's a lot of things about him that I keep hearing about. Leadership being one, quick release, accuracy. Those are huge things in the NFL. Um, you, you look at some of these other quarterbacks, Drew Brees and, and, and the kid from Seattle. They're Russell not Wilson, either, sure. But they get rid of the ball. They're accurate. They've got scrambling ability. If he's smart enough to keep his cool in the pocket – and uh, deal with all the things that gonna, he's going to have to deal with around him. Uh, they say he's super smart as far as, as, far as uh, the, the playbook stuff. Uh, I, I know Cleveland you know, did their uh, due diligence in figuring all that stuff out, but I, I know the one thing that's enticing um, and attractive is that he does have a quick release. He is very accurate, and his leadership qualities. Um, are, 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 are pretty high on everybody's list. I think everybody would agree with that. I think the one thing that people are worried about uh, is his size and how will he deal with that going against the speed and the size of NFL defenses. Will it rattle him? Will it set him back? Is he going to be, you know, I saw Drew Brees when he just came out. When I was coaching in Denver, he played in San Diego, and he was getting his feet wet. And um, did you ever think he'd be the quarterback that he is? He's going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He, he is absolutely one of the best that ever played, and he showed it when he was in San Diego. He was a fearless, fearless competitor. He did not worry about how big he was. He didn't worry about anything. He was smart, very competitive, obviously talented. Um, size was never a factor to him. Okay, we'll go a couple of more here. Uh, thoughts on Jim Kelly? Love him. Love him. I pray for him every day. I, I hope that he can get through this, uh, this cancer. I know it's been a struggle for him and his family, but without a doubt, one of the best quarterbacks that ever played. This guy was a monster. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a quarterback with, with a linebacker's mentality. And how does he rate between Montana and uh, Marino? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Kind of different styles, really. Uh, Jim was a straight, sit-in-the-pocket, big man that could throw the ball anywhere on the field. As far as he had to, uh, accurate as he had to, he had a good cast around him. Um, I, I, I think, you know, with Marino, his, his thing was big arm, but also had a quick release, very accurate. Um Joe Montana had good people around him, but very smart, savvy. Uh, do, can do whatever it took um, to win games. Plus, he was talented um, and very confident, and that showed in, in, in the way he played. He probably scared me more than any other quarterback as far as preparing and um, you know worrying. You know, if we don't get to this guy, if we don't harass him, if we don't rattle them we're not going to have a chance and 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 that was hard to do with joe montana let me just ask you this question before i give you one or two more names here in baseball a manager maybe makes a difference in maybe five to seven games during the course of a season how important is it for the head coach to to be on his game in the nfl is it everything or is it a little something does it come down to the players i think it's everything because he sets the tone and how players react to his leadership and his vision and how he conveys that to each and every player from all walks of life, how they all can understand him and, and get on the same page with him, relate to him, 
is, and then, and then on top of that, have the confidence uh, within himself and, and the confidence um, to, to, in his players and his players having confidence in him. Uh, you know, the first guy that I think about when I think about that, obviously, is Bud Grant was like that. Bud Grant didn't have to say a lot, but his uh, skill set as a leader and what it took to win w- was so evident in just his, his persona, how he, how he looked, how he handled himself. When he walked into a room, you just felt his presence. Uh, he's a guy that you wanted to play for and do whatever it took to win. Uh, I think um, Bill Walsh was the same type of guy. Um, incredibly smart, gifted coach, uh, in- inspiring uh, players. Loved him and loved to play for him. He, if he talked to you and, and gave you a uh, a goal or something to shoot for, man, you were going to do whatever it took to to reach that goal. And if he's talking to me and thinking that I have this ability and that I could be this, and he's telling me this. My God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to, to achieve it. Sam Mills. And I, I think when you have a head coach like that, that it can affect people like that, uh, more than just being an administrator, but somebody can reach people and um, just, just kind of have the, the soul of the team. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible to see. It's literally it's, you feel it when they walk in the room. That's all I can say. When they walk in the room, you feel their presence. You can just feel the greatness coming out of them. But what a disaster for the Giants this past year with McAdoo. You just feel the life being sucked out of that franchise. Also, I don't know what happened that there. Was, that was weird. I mean, I've been – and I worked with the Giants for a couple of years. I, I, I know Bob Pop. I know Carl Banks. And uh, it, it's, it was a weird year. It was a very weird year. He just kept you losing the team. You know what happens, Mike? My experience is – there's a lot of good coaches out there. But can There's you lose good. a whole season by, by the third or fourth week of an NFL season? That's what it seemed like. Right. By the, by the time know, they here, were – Here's they, what happens. He, so he gets the job. Remember, when he got that job, why did he get the job? Because his relationship with the quarterback. Right. They had a good working relationship. But remember, at that time, he's an assistant coach. All he has to deal with is the quarterback. They're having success. Everything's good. Now he becomes the head coach. Here we go back to that thing I was telling you. How do you deal with each and every player on that team? How do you inspire them? How do you get them all in? Are you befriending them? Are you becoming their buddy so they'll like you? Are you setting a standard of excellence by sticking to your guns who you are and, and, and kind of setting the tone that way and getting greatness out of players? Are you just being way too buddy? But I've seen a lot of good coaches when they get the defensive coordinator job or even a head coach, don't know how to act when they're in that top spot when it comes to dealing with the players and winning them over. They go about it the wrong way. They want to be too buddy-buddy, and they lose the team. They lose the respect. Guys start flaking off and doing what they want. Oh, coach is cool. He won't mind. I could do this or I could do that. I'm not saying that happened with him, but it's just kind of funny how everything fell apart. And usually when things fall apart, it's because there's a, a, a lack of discipline, a lack of order, uh, don't really know what path to follow. It's this way one day, and then, it, and then it's different the next day. If you don't have experience leading men in, in, in that regard, it's hard because you got a lot of different guys coming from all walks of life, and you got to reel them all in and get them on the same page. And it's not 
that is everybody respects respect, right? If they, if they respect you, they don't necessarily have to like you, but if they respect you and they believe in you and they believe in your system and your discipline and everything you believe in, what it takes going to be a championship team, stick to that, and no matter what happens, you'll have respect. But if you're trying to reach out and be buddy-buddy and befriend people and try to get them to like you for, for that quality, trying to be like one of the guys, uh, the ship's going to sink fast. I've seen it. Yeah, I bet. A uh, couple more names here. Uh, Sam Mills. Oh, man, Sam Mills. Uh, he, he, he's a lightning rod. Um, you know, I saw him in the USFL. He's playing with the Stars incredibly um, gifted, uh, pulverizing tackler, instincts off the charts. He saw plays. He knew what was going to happen before the ball was snapped. You could tell as fast as he was going. He's a lot like that linebacker. Uh, he reminds me a lot of that linebacker that plays for uh, Carolina, the white kid. Oh, uh, the, 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 59. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking about. He reminds me of that guy. That guy's got instincts. He gets Ke- to the ball. Luke Keekley. So Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley. Yeah, he was that kind of guy. Just student of the game. Had to be because of his size. He had to make up in other areas. But because of it, uh, great leadership. I remember when he was with the Saints, guys would follow him. Vaughn wasn't really a vocal guy. He was just a great player. Sam Mills ran that defense, and uh, man, it was fun to watch. And finally, just what what made Steve Young so difficult as as a as a quarterback, and for you as a defensive lineman? I mean, do you guys prefer a guy that's a pocket passer or a guy that can scramble? Because a guy that can scramble I'll, might not I'll have take the same a arm. Passer any day, but <laughs> see, when Steve got into the, into the league, when he was in Tampa, there in our division, so we had to play him every day, and we used to kill him. I mean, we used to sack him eight times. Who sacked? Times who sacked him the time with the snow in his face? And I'm trying to remember that was if that was Denver or not. That time he got sacked and he came up with a mess full of snow. No, no, that was when he played Green Bay. That was a oh, okay. Monday night football game. Yeah, Alfonso Carrecker had like five sacks. <laughs> yeah, that's when Steve Young was just, uh, you know, big time talent, could run, big arm, smart, but didn't really have. Um, a good supporting cast. And what, and what I mean by that is not just players, but coaches as well. When he went to, um, obviously, San Francisco, he had Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh told him how to play the court, you know, taught him how to play the quarterback position. And then, obviously, he had more gifts than Joe Montana. But Joe Montana obviously knew the system, knew how to work the system, uh, was a great quarterback himself. But imagine having Bill Walsh as your coach and playing behind a guy like Joe Montana. You know, if you got any kind of skill set and, and intelligence, uh, you're going to suck that all in and gain everything you can. And I'm sure because he's had uh, struggles in his early career, uh, he was going to soak that up as much as he could and, and get everything out of he could. And I think that's what happened. And he ended up being, you know, Hall of Famer, what was it three-time MVP, whatever it was. Great quarterback. Once he became that guy, he was a nightmare to play against. A and, nightmare. And he had that famous run against you guys, too. Yeah. That, that famous run. Yeah. What do you remember about that play? Um, you know what? We, we were having success. We were doing a good job. He was still young, still learning, still coming up. He was still Joe Montana's backup. They brought him in. 
you know, I was still thinking he was the same guy in Tampa, you know, drop back and, and get flustered and, 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 and start to look for the first place he could to run. And he, and he kind of was that. But, you know, here's a guy that's 215 pounds that probably runs low four fives and is very strong, uh, that was very determined to make his own mark in those days. I mean, he was a determined guy. He was, he was hungry uh, to get things back on track. And when they put him in to win that game, um, you know, that, that's what you saw on that run. He was not going to go down. I mean, you're talking about Scott Studwell, myself, uh, Jesse Solomon, Joey Browner, none of us could bring him down. I mean, you, you got to be kidding me. You know, I brought him down uh, better with easier, uh, y- you know, effort, and we could not get him down. That was all Steve Young. He, I, I think that play right there really got him over the hump of, you know what, if things go bad, I can still make things happen. I've got nothing to lose because of that. And I think it kind of got him in a zone where he could relax and just play ball, and then he became – the Steve Young that he is now. I think that play had a lot to do with it. So, Keith, tell, tell us about this sixth-round pick that you're working with out of Nigeria. So a guy, a guy named uh, Ade Arune, he's uh, – so every once in a while, when, like between jobs, I'd always have people call me and say, hey, I got a kid, you know, he's got this, he's got that, he's green. Would you mind working with him and getting him ready for this or getting him ready for that? Or maybe he was a free agent uh, – a uh, practice squad guy that has upside and he's not getting it wherever he is. Guys would call me and say, "Will you work with this kid?" And um, and and I would do it. Uh, so they, they a guy named Dave Spitz who works out of uh, he owns Cal Strength. It's in San Ramon, California. He called me up and said, "Hey, I got this kid. He's six five. He'll probably run low four sixes at the combine. Can jump out of this guy. All athletic, but uh, he needs he needs work on his." technique this that whatever and i said well look send me his tape let me study him see where he's at and then let me meet the kid and then i'll i'll let you know if if i'm gonna do it so he sent me his his tape and uh i looked at every game that he played in at uh tulane and you know to me what i saw the first thing i saw he's playing out of position they had him playing different positions no rhyme or no reason i don't even know why they did it but he didn't know how to play or didn't look comfortable doing any of them. He just looked almost out of place. But when you saw him run and saw him change direction and saw his start, uh, you know, stop to start, um, his explosion, I just was like, I'd love to work with this kid. I love working with kids like that. I've always had success working with kids like that. And uh, even though it was a short time that we had, uh, we were trying to get him ready for the – the NFL PA game, uh, we just worked on the basics, stuff that was simple that he could do without thinking much about it. Uh, you know, get off, uh, turning a tight corner, staying low, using his gifts without thinking too much about it. That, that's the thing where at Tulane, they had him doing so much stuff, and they would never let him loose. They, they always confined him uh, as far as letting loose, letting him use his athletic ability and his, and his natural instincts, they they always handcuffed him in that regard. So I tried to uncuff him and and say, listen, when you get at this NFL PA game, it's going to be a lot of NFL scouts there, a lot of coaches. They're going to want to see what you can do, and they will not handcuff you there. So you've got to believe that and just go for it. And 
those are the types of things that we worked on, along with all the drills to prepare him uh, for the things that he had to do. Uh, we, we, we went two and a half hours every day. We did our warm-ups, got him ready, feet agility, uh, quick change of direction, hands, and then we started working one-on-ones. I'd get blockers out there, tell him how to set, give him different sets, and then work on his get-off, his, uh, his angle, his hands, and then his finish. And we just worked that over and over and over just to get him ready. If you could compare him to somebody, who, who might he be Well, like? I'll tell you what. what that, that's a good question. Body-wise, athletically, he reminds me of clowning. Okay. Yep. I knew you could just say that. Yep. What is it about the players from Nigeria? I mean, it's something that you hear they don't play until the 10th or 11th grade, and, you know, you, you find – not to do have a pun or anything. It's a diamond in the rough that you find these guys, and they turn out to be superstars. Well, check this out, Mike. He came over here when he was 16 years old as a high school basketball player. That's why he came to the United States, to play basketball. In his senior year, uh, one of the football coaches said, you know, he's obviously he was, he was a big basketball player, too. He's probably 240, 245, right, 6'5 frame, athletic as hell, aggressive on the basketball court. So one of their coaches asked him to come out. So he didn't have a whole lot of football experience uh, coming up, and he's, he's the type of guy that he's a yes sir, no sir guy, and he wants to please his coach. So whatever they tell him to do, he's going to do it, even though he knows in the back of his mind, well, I know if I quick swim this guy and get by him quicker, but my coach might get mad at me and I don't want to do it. Or when I coach guys, I coach them that use your athletic ability, do your job, but don't be afraid to let loose. Go get it. If you think you can make a play, go make that play. Just make sure you're in your gap and you're sound and doing it. That's it. Go do it. Get after it, whatever. Well, the coaches at Tulane wouldn't let them do that. And without having a lot of football knowledge or experience, um, it just, you know, it just the, the things that he's hopefully capable of doing, hopefully Andre Patterson can get it out of him. Um, will show all that athleticism and explosiveness and all the all the uh you know uh physical attributes that he has. And maybe if he played for Alabama or something like that they would have worked on that. Exactly. exactly. So, so so what about you go you going to go back to coaching? I mean it would be different too to go back into coaching because of the time restraints right now. You Right. You- that and I've been out of it. So my last job was uh Tennessee 2000 to 14 I think was my when I got out. And for three years, I was away from my family. My family stayed back here in California. I, um, my kids were in high school. I always promised them, you know, if, if I got a job out of state, wherever, uh, we wouldn't move you guys. So we, we tried to make it work for three years. But I've had a lot of injuries. I've, I've had two hip replacements, a knee replacement, Jeez. and I really struggled. I was basically spending more time in, in, in treatment than the players to get just to get on the field every day and to do my job it it was a struggle but I didn't mind that I didn't mind that but that combined with uh being away from my family for so long and trying to make that work I missed three years of my daughter's high school she's a, a competition cheerleader I missed most of all of that uh so when I came home uh my wife and I just said you know let's just let's just call it unless we get something local 
uh, or something like that. I, I just I'm I'm just going to give it up. Tw- I've, co- I've coached for 25 yeah. years. The last 11 in the NFL, plus one in the U- uh, XFL, and then well, they're they're going to be looking for coaches, man. And you got the other the alliance league. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm, I miss it, Mike. I, I love doing it, but yeah. my my physical body is, is I struggle every day. I need another. I need my third hip replacement. Jeez. I'm putting it off because I don't want to go through the rehab. I'm supposed to be on a cane. Uh, I use it sometimes if I'm on my feet a lot, but um, it, it's tough to coach in that league when you're constantly in pain and struggling. Oh, of course. Like every Absolutely. morning I got up to go to work, which I always got up about 5 o'clock. I get to the facility by 5.36. I try to get a workout in to get my body going um, and then go to work. And then we'd be there till 10, 10.30 at night. So long hours grueling on the body plus practice OTAs you're on the field a lot 